Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. Well, good evening. As you've probably noticed by now, Pastor Eric is not here. He um, went to West Texas to San Angelo for a funeral today, left um, at some ungodly hour this morning with his parents um, to attend a funeral of a woman that he's known since he was a child, and um, just a wonderful, beautiful lady that was in our church for years uh, back in San Angelo and went back to to honor her and to see the family, and he didn't make it back in time. He um, got stuck in traffic in Fort Worth. Luckily, we prepared something for you in, in case that were to happen, and so we have several preachers for you tonight that are going to share a little bit each, and there was one person that was excited about it, but it'll be good, um, and so we have uh, several guys and me, I always get stuck with the dudes, uh, that are going to share with you tonight. Um, but Pastor Eric sends his love, and he wishes that he could be here, and he's going to be rolling into town any minute and uh, taking his parents home, so uh, he'll see you on Sunday for sure, and next Wednesday night, actually, he'll be starting his, uh, the second part of the Joseph part of Genesis that he began last week, and so that will, will be good, and I guess I'll go ahead and start since I'm up here, and, uh, as most of you probably know, Eric and I are very different Bible teachers. You know, he's, he's a Bible scholar, and everything that he says is very deep. And usually when he teaches, it feels like a hug. And then I teach, and it's very practical and sometimes comes off like a rebuke. And no matter how I try to get away from that, and I'm like, oh, I want to just deliver one of those soft and fuzzy messages like other people do. A, a lot of women do that. A lot of women have these just gushy, Jesus loves you so much kind of messages. That never, I, I never come up with those. So sorry, there's my precursor. <laughs> um, turn in your Bibles to Romans 5 starting in verse 3. I think it's probably because I usually share out of what the Lord's been speaking to me on, and I'm usually needing a rebuke, I guess. So <laughs> I'm usually just sharing out of God dealing with me strongly because that's I'm kind of stubborn, and God has to deal with me very directly. <laughs> oh. You know, a lot of people think that Eric comes across intimidating sometimes, and I'm always trying to tell people, I'm like, I'm way, I'm, I'm the scary one. I promise you, I'm the scary one. And one of the first times Cameron, who is Maddie's, has been dating Maddie for 18 years, something like three years. One of the first times he came to pick her up for a date, Eric had a gun on his hip. And Cameron was smart enough to know that I'm still the scarier one. So he's smarter than he looks, folks. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. All right, Romans 5 verses 3 through 5. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. See, aren't I encouraging? <laughs> Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now the first thing I want to point out in verse 3 is that it says, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Some people try to share this, this verse as we glory for the tribulation. There are things that you face that God does not want you to go, 
thank you, Lord, for this trouble that's come into my life. But you can glory despite your tribulations and the troubles that you face. Um, And by the time we get to the end of this verse, or to the end of verse, yes, to the end of the verse 4, it's just very encouraging. It's, it's kind of the, the end part is the warm and fuzzy verse. And um, because hope, we all want to have hope. Hope is the expectation in this case for something good. And so we always want to, we all want to get to the place where we have, where we're full of hope. But if we take this verse and we take it and we go backwards, do we have this verse to put on the screen? It's Romans 5, 3 through 5. Let's um, go ahead. Just put verse 4 up first if you can. Romans 5, 4. So at the end of the verse, it's talking about getting to the place of hope. But if we start to go backwards, we say, how do we get to the place where we have hope? Well, it says through our character. How do we develop our character? If we keep going backwards through perseverance. Perseverance still sounds good. I want to have that. But when we back up a little bit more and it says tribulation produces perseverance, it's kind of, oh, there's the bummer. I don't want to have to produce it that way. How many of you know people that want to get, want to, get to things the shortcut? They want to, they want to be, um, you know, Eric and I sat down with this couple years ago. And they wanted to be in full-time ministry. And they wanted to pastor a church, and they had been given some opportunities, but they were opportun- the kind of opportunities that they were to build on, and it was going to take time for them to get to the place that they wanted to see. And, and they were getting discouraged because it's a lot of work, and they didn't realize it. They thought the ministry was glamorous. I don't know who told them that, but they had that in their, in their heads. And so we sat down with them, and we just said, hey, listen, we didn't start out where we are right now. We started out as youth pastors, and we were driving, spending our own money to get there every week to a town. You know, we just went through the times when we thought, what are we doing here? All that, and we told them how we got through it, and how we pressed through, and how we, you know, and just wanted to encourage them that we know how you feel, but there is, there is something good to come of all of this, and we went through our whole story with them, and at the end, they looked at us, and they said, well, we're just believing God we're not going to have to do that. And we just went, I mean, they just missed the whole point of what we were trying to help them with because we knew that we gained perseverance through those tribulations that they face, uh, through the tribulations that we faced. But let's look at the different definitions of tribulation in this verse because we think of it as always something bad and it can be something bad it can be the trouble that we face because we we have an enemy we have an enemy that hates us and would love to cause havoc in our life we also see that it means trials and some of the trials that we go through let's just face it we bring them on ourselves and some of the things are outside of our control some of this tribulation is the burdens that we carry and some of it is pressure Another word for this word tribulation is pressure, the pressure that we we are under, whether it's uh, pressure that we bring on ourselves or pressure from outside um, influences. Um, And 
and everybody has tribulations in their life. You're sure to. Another th- tribulation that can be in your life is the tribulation of persecution, which that's a, that's a good thing because if you're being persecuted, then that means you're doing something right for the Lord. Amen? Um, but some of, the, some of the things that we find ourselves pressured under, they're good things. It's not all bad that we face, all the pressures that we face. Um, a couple of days ago, well, once in a while, I just get in these manic moods where I'll open a cabinet or a drawer, and all of a sudden, everything in that drawer or everything in that cabinet has to go, and it has to be cleaned out right then, and so I just go nuts on it. Well, a couple of days ago, I walked into my closet, and I just had this overwhelming feeling that I'm like, I have to get rid of all this. I've just got to clean out my closet. And because that's what I do. I get dramatic. I let it build up and then I overreact and that's how I handle it. And um, so I, we, Eric and I don't, we share a closet and it's not a very big closet. It's by no means a walk-in closet. It's a step-in closet because that's how big it is. You can step in and then that's it. You step out. That's, that's all the walking you can do. And so, and none of my kids have left long enough that their closets are open for me to take over. You know how like when you grow up and you move out, your parents take over your closet? Yeah, that, I can't get them to leave long enough for me to take over their closet. So for now, we're sharing a step-in closet. And so the other day, I walked in and I snapped, because that's what I do. And, um, and I like clothes. I have a lot of clothes. And I like to shop, but I don't, I, it's not that I just buy a lot of clothes. It's that I keep things for a really long time. So you may think that I have a new outfit on every day, or it may just be that I haven't worn it since high school, so I just have it still in my closet, because I don't, I always think that I'm going to, you know, be able to put an outfit together with it later, and so I've, I've kept all these clothes in my closet, and um, so this day, I was just like, all right, it's all going to go. I don't care if I keep five things and the rest of it goes. I'm done with it. I'm done with this closet being so full, and so I started clearing the racks, and what I realized is that there were things in there that I hadn't worn in years, like literally since high school or maybe right when I got married. And, but I found myself wanting to hang on to things, not that maybe I've worn within the last year or two, but that I've had the longest. Like, well, I've had this for 20 years. I, I can't get rid of it now. Well, how silly is that, that I won't let go of something I haven't worn in 20 years, but it's been hanging in my closet, and I feel like I've lugged it around this long, I might as well keep it. And so when I, when I started thinking along the lines of, oh, well, I got to keep this and I got to keep that, I remembered this thing that I read not too long ago, and it was like an advice column about how to clean out your closet. And you're supposed to ask yourself this series of questions, well, the only ones I could remember were would I buy it again new right now if I didn't already own it? And would I pay more than $20 for it? It was something like that. Don't quote me. And so I thought, okay, I'm not going to keep all this junk that I don't need. I'm going to start asking myself these questions, and I'm going to use this criteria to clean out my closet. So I would pick something up, and I'd be like, would I buy this right now? Lord, no, I would not buy that right now. I don't know what is possessing me to keep that just because I've had it for 20 years, but I wouldn't buy it right now, and I certainly wouldn't spend $20 on it, which I'm pretty cheap. So to spend $20 on something, I'd really have to like it. Um, And as I was doing that, I just began to think, when's the last time I took this kind of inventory of my life? When's the last time you took that kind of inventory of your life? 
of your thoughts, your words, your behaviors, and examined yourself and said, is this benefiting me? You know, Eric and I have been married almost 22 years. This summer it'll be 22 years. And if my only goal was to stay married and not get a divorce, done. Now, hopefully most of you, like I do, have a greater hope for my marriage than that. It's more than just not getting a divorce. It's about having that fairy tale marriage that we all dream about. And I'm not saying that we've arrived there yet, but we've certainly learned along the way how to avoid the just not getting a divorce type of marriage. Maybe it's your job. Are you just trying to keep your job? Or do you want to climb the ladder and be the most successful at the position you are and maybe get a raise and go up the ladder to the next position and all the way up as high as you can go in the company? Your relationships, your job, and every aspect of your life require you to take regular inventory. Don't let those things hang in your closet for 20 years till later you think, I could have had a better life if only I had tweaked this or done that. Because we all have attitudes, thoughts, words, and actions. And, you know, God forbid that we, that we get mentalities, well, I've worked there for 12 years already and they don't even know I'm a Christian, so if I started witnessing now, how weird would that be? You know, it's never too late to start something new in any area of your life. So I want to challenge you tonight. Do inventory in every area of your life and see where you can tweak things. See where you can make that relationship better. Reach out to that loved one that you haven't talked to in a while. The other day I was at a funeral and a man got up and challenged everyone to let your loved ones know how much you love them. And I, was, I thought to myself, well, I, I do that for the most part, and all of a sudden, there are people in my life that I'm like, well, I probably don't tell them I love them all that much, because they're not really the type that I would say that to, and it was like the Lord was challenging me, do you really, do you really do that, and there's a lot of things that began to come to my mind that I, I feel like I do pretty good at, but if I really think about it, I could do better, and this, this young man at this funeral made all of his family members stand up, and he told each and every one of them how much he loved him, and I could tell I could tell by the reaction of the family members that that is not something that they'd commonly do in that family. You could see the discomfort of it, but you could also see the, the joy and the peace that came over them as he told each one of them that he loved them. So that's my challenge for you today. Take inventory of your life and tweak things where you can and see your life grow for the better. Amen? All right, next up I'm going to call on Alex because you're the only one I can see right off. So y'all give Alex a hand as he comes. Good evening, everyone. I want to talk for a few minutes about uh, light versus darkness. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 3, and 3 through 5, it says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. On that first day of creation, God completely divided the light from the darkness. He did that because light cannot be mixed with darkness. The two can't be combined together because light will always overwhelm the darkness. And because Pastor Eric is our pastor, I feel obligated to stand up here and tell a few bad jokes as I feel like 
most, most people who come to this podium do in honor of Pastor Eric, except Pastor Heather. She refuses to stoop that low. But I have a few for you guys. What do you get when you mix a golfer and alcohol? A drunk driver. <laughs> what do you get when you mix a joke with a rhetorical question? I'll give you guys a minute. <laughs> what do you get when you mix an elephant with a rhino? Elephino. <laughs> All right, sorry, you guys. <laughs> Point being, some things just don't mix. <laughs> I want to read a few uh, Old Testament commands from the book of Deuteronomy. Um, in a lot of these Old Testament books, uh, God is just giving commands to the Israelites. And in this chapter specifically, he just listed things that they're not allowed to mix together. In verse 9, he said, You shall not sow your vineyard with different kinds of seeds, lest, lest the yield of the seed which you have sown and the fruit of your vineyard be defiled. And verse 10 says, You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Well, that makes sense. They probably wouldn't work well together. I can imagine if you yoke a, an ox and a donkey together, it probably wouldn't work too well. Another one, you shall not wear a garment of different sorts, such as wool and linen mixed together. Just, just some, some things that God was just saying you don't mix together. You know, if you tried to mix light and darkness, the light would always overwhelm the darkness. The, the light would always, the, the darkness would always dissipate in that. You cannot, you can never combine the two. They're completely separate. In John chapter 1 verse 5, it says, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Light shines in darkness. Darkness does not shine in light. And we had a power outage at my house a few weeks ago, so we had to light candles and we had to uh, get some flashlights out. And I found that wherever I brought the candle, the darkness would dissipate. The light would fill up the room. If I walked to the bathroom with the candle, well, there would be light. The darkness would go away. That's how it works. The light always overcomes the darkness. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, it says, for you, who once, uh, for you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the world. Walk as children of light. It says you used to be darkness. As an unbeliever, you are darkness. I mean, that's, that's what you're living in. But as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the moment you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you became light. Jesus said that you are the light of the world. You are meant to shine. You're meant to walk in a room and fill that room with light. You're meant to walk in situations that are dark and change those situations because that's who you are. People will see you and they will see God in you. They'll see the way that you love and the way that you give and the way that you treat them and they'll know that that guy, he has God. They'll see God in you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, it says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And that's not saying that you're better than unbelievers, and it's not saying to look down on unbelievers and that you can't be friends with them or that you can't have a relationship with them. It's just saying that unbelievers are different than believers. You know, unbelievers are still in the dark and believers are in the light. And it's just simply saying that you're different and you're separate. Light is completely different than darkness. The two can't coexist. Um, 
there's a timer up there, sorry. I keep looking up there and checking it. Um, all that to say, just you are the light of the world. Uh, you may feel like we're living in darkness sometimes, like, like the world is living in darkness. Or well, let me tell you that our country is not the light of the world. Our government's not the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You're the one that is meant to, to change things and, and to change people's lives. And when you um, comfort someone and when you love someone, you're, you have the ability to drive the darkness out of people and out of places. So I just want to encourage you all just to, to walk in that light this week and just to shine wherever you go. Thank you, guys. All right, guys, help me. Who that? Is it Jeremiah, Brian, who's Eric? Okay, Brian, go ahead, you come up. Sorry, I just was like, ah. If Eric asked you to preach tonight, raise your hand. <laughs> awesome. Well, welcome, everybody. I'm going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 8. Very well-known verse of Scripture. A little, uh, a little mysterious at times, um, and, and uh, I'm going to ask for a little liberty. I'm going to take a, a little bit different approach to it tonight. But uh, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 8, and we're going to talk about good old-fashioned love, right? Um, if you've been to a wedding recently, no doubt you've heard, heard the first half of this, and we're, we're going to talk about the second half tonight. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 8, it says, Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Then down to verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, talking about when the perfect comes to pass, face to face. Now I know in part, but then on the day when the perfect comes to pass, I shall know just, or just as I also am known. It's an amazing passage of scripture. It starts very strong, then gets kind of like, that's strange, and then ends with this, this really great promise that, that, that on a day whenever, whenever we, we, we kind of grasp that perfection, finally, right? That on that day, part of the perfection and part of the manifestation of that will be the result of us knowing just as we are known. Very powerful, right? Very powerful. But until then, we only now see dimly in a mirror because we are not yet face to face. That's what that scripture tells us. And so until then, because we see dimly in a mirror, we're given these tools, right? We're, we're, we're given these tools that are, that are to help us. So we're given tongues. We're given prophecy. We're given knowledge. We're given these things which are, which are kind of incomplete, right? We don't really understand them. I don't know what I'm saying whenever I'm speaking in tongues, right? I, I really don't know. I know it's doing something, but I don't really know what I'm saying, right? A prophecy comes, and my first question nine times out of ten is, great, when? When, right? Or how, you know? Tell me, please, you know, but it, it's in part. It's not perfect yet. And these things are just here for the here and now to help us for the here and now. So in the here and now, we see dimly in a mirror. And mirrors are great, right? I wish more people use them sometimes, right? I mean, can I get an amen? Um, you know who does and you know who doesn't, right? That spinach has been there for a week, bro. You got to do something, all right? It's killing me. It's killing me. The, uh, but a mirror, as good as it is, has its limitations. It does, you know? I mean, a lot of different kinds of mirrors, first of all, right? Small ones, which don't give you a very complete or full picture, 
right? You need that full body mirror to get the full, you know, glory of who you are, you know? <laughs> or, or, or sometimes the bad, bad news. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, especially, you know, after Thanksgiving. The, uh, you, you've got mirrors at, at, at like, uh, fun houses, you know, that distort the image. You've got a really big head and really long legs, you know? Um, or, or sometimes, like, you'll see something in the mirror, like, you think it's a spot on you, but really it's just this blemish on the mirror, right? It's a really good tool. It's a really good tool, but mirrors will lie to you, you know? Mirrors will. Mirrors will lie to you. They'll, they'll tell you something. That if I were to hold this up in a mirror, it would actually read backwards, right? It would. It wouldn't give me the honest representation of what it is, right? It's good. It's close. It's a tool. I can use it. I should use it, but it's not really the truth. It isn't. It's not the full, perfect, whole, God's honest truth. It just isn't. It's good, and we need it, but it's not everything, you know? Because everything comes in the beginning of verse 8. It's in that love. It's in that perfected love that we have everything. And in that perfect love, when we are face-to-face finally with Jesus, we'll look at him and say, ah, that's who I've been this entire time. I just didn't know it. I just didn't know how healed I was. I just didn't know how prosperous I was. I just didn't know how victorious I was. I just didn't know how perfect God's love had already made me. I just didn't know. I was using all of these things. I was operating with sight. And that got me distracted. That got me looking at the wrong stuff. That got me focused on the wrong things. That got me believing the wrong stuff. And it messed with what I know. Now, the problem is, is that we're trying to know the wrong stuff using the wrong tools. Because what this verse of scripture actually says is, we already know everything we need to know. When you get a prophecy, you don't need to know when. You don't need to know how. When you speak in tongues, you don't need to know what you're saying, right? We don't need to know these things because that's the wrong question. That's not what's important. What we need to know is who we are as we are known. That's what that says. That says if we want to see the heaven on earth that Jesus could told us we could pray, it's not about seeing it, it's about knowing it, right? So stop looking around and trying to know what you see. Know it, and then you'll see it, right? So mirrors are good, mirrors are good, but the perfect knowledge of the love of God, the fact that he sent his only son to die for you, And the fact that every time he looks at you, that's what he sees. Because that's who you are in this earth. Because that's who he made you in this earth. That's what you need to know. And that is all you need to know. So get out there and love. Get out there and declare. Get out there and pray that heaven on earth that Jesus told us we need to declare. Because we, the church, are the voice in this earth of all of God's promises for this earth. Not later, but now. We can become the perfect that comes to pass on this earth. We just need to know the right things. And what you need to know is that your God knows you, sees you, and says, you're perfect, and I love you. Amen. So... I don't know if you guys have noticed, but Pastor Eric, to me, has really started looking more like his father, right? And 
Today, he, he pulled a Dr. Holler and called me at 5 o'clock and said, hey, you want to do five minutes tonight? And I said, yes, sir, which is what Pastor John used to do to all of us. But it's why the Bible says be ready in season and out of season because you never know. And that's why we pray in tongues and rely on the Holy Spirit because he does. So I want to talk to you guys tonight. If you can turn to 1 Peter 5, 8. We're going to start there and go down a few verses. And it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I've always heard that verse of scripture. And people always go, oh, you got to watch out. Satan's just, he's, he's just waiting to pounce on you. And it hit me. This verse of Scripture actually tells how stupid Satan is. Because if any, who's ever been hunting? Or who has ever seen hunting on TV or anything like that? If you've watched Duck Commander, Duck Dynasty, you have. The last thing you want to do is sit in the deer blind quietly for hours. And at the very last minute go, I'm going to shoot a deer! The, child, the children's pastor came out to me when I thought of this because I thought of, of Gru in Despicable Me 2. When he pulls out his freeze ray, and every time he does, he says, freeze ray! And then he shoots it. And finally, one of the other characters gets him first. She goes, you have to tell me what you're going to do after you do it. Otherwise, you're telling me exactly what's going to happen. And that's exactly what this verse of Scripture says. It says, Satan prowls like a roaring lion. Roaring lions are not hunting. So if he's hunting, he's doing a horrible job at it. And he's sitting there going, no, you're sick. No, you're, you're si your nose is you're sniffling. You're sick. That person got a promotion. What about you? What about you? You, you? you deserved it more than they did. Why didn't you get it? And he starts lying. And if you understand the fact that he's there and that he's t giving you his game plan before he ever starts, then the rest of this makes complete sense. That he's going to go around saying, no, you're broke. You have nothing. And Peter here tells us, stand firm in faith. Knowing that this exact same thing is happening all over the world. It happened to Jesus himself. Stand firm in faith knowing that and realize this, that the God of all grace is standing there because he sees Christ in you, the hope of glory. It, it's the most amazing thought to think that if Satan would have known what would have come from the death of Jesus, I don't think he would have done it. He killed Jesus and was like, yeah, I killed him. And then Jesus shows up in hell and goes, 
All right, and I'm taking my keys back. And Satan's going, no, this, no, no, I killed you. You can't kill me. And we have that same ability on the inside of us because Christ is in us, that hope of glory, to go, no, sickness, no, no, no. By his stripes, I'm healed. Give that back. Not only give that back, but I want more than that. That doctor bill I had to pay, you owe me now. And so we can continue on this path of knowing who we are in Christ and knowing that this loud, ridiculous, nagging voice in the background is simply him going, this is what I'm going to do. That noise on your car, I'm going to break your car. No, you're not. I'll go get the oil changed. They'll blow up the tire. It'll be just fine. But the beauty of all of this is this. That he says, after you suffered a little while. Because you're, they're, they're, from time to time, you're going to lose a battle. It's the reality of living in a fallen world. You're going to lose a battle. But this right here is our promise. That after you've suffered a while, the God of all grace who has called you to his glory in Christ will himself restore you. He will confirm you, which means if you're wondering what God called you to, He's going to tell you. He's going to strengthen you and He's going to establish you. So when it goes okay, bank account does not look good. God's going to step in and go, I supply. Satan killed me thinking he won, but here's the reality. Now all of a sudden, I'm going to pay your bills for you. Sickness? No. Now, I'm going to take that upon myself, and you're going to walk in healing. Calling? No. All things work together for those who are called according to my purpose. So everything's going to be okay. You just got to realize that that nagging voice is just a really bad hunter. And that the voice on the inside of you crying hope, crying faith, crying healing, crying prosperity, crying all of those things is the voice of Christ Himself in you going, this battle's already won, don't worry about it. So stand in faith, resist the devil, and he will flee. Hey, it's me again. I'm going to be talking out of Psalms 22, starting in verse 17. Recently, I decided that I wanted to torture myself and try and get my bachelor's and hopefully prayerfully my master's through LCU, and I have the dictator Alex to thank for helping me get through this. And so he provides me with these classes, and the unfortunate thing is every time I see him, I'm instantly convicted because I'm not doing my work. And I feel like every time I see him, I have to go and apologize. Alex, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm literally trying to finish this class. I, I am, Alex. I'm going to finish it by the end of the month, maybe. In the class that I'm taking, I have to write a paper, a 12-page paper, and I hate everything about it. 
And I started writing it again. Alex, I'm on page seven. I'm almost there. I'm right there, Alex. Trust me. And I'm supposed to write, it's the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. I'm supposed to write about a miracle or a parable that Jesus um, did. So I decided to write about the greatest miracle of Jesus dying on the cross. And so I've been going through scriptures talking about Jesus dying on the cross. And I kind of started all the way back with Adam and Eve and how God's devised the plan and how it's just this great miracle of Jesus dying on this cross, but how it started so, so long ago, before the foundations of the world, the lamb was already slain. Going through Adam and Eve and how God covers them and protects them, and in the middle of pronouncing judgment and talking about what sin has done, he's secretly sneaking in the plan. Like Eric was saying, the devil's so dumb, he's just sitting there, and God's saying, I'm going to defeat you. I'm going to restore it. He's like, I got him. Adam and Eve, childbirth is going to stink digging those ditches, man, I got you good. Then we go to Abraham and we see how God has opened up the opportunity because he has covenant with Abraham and God and he opens up this opportunity because Abraham sacrifices his son, God says, now I can sacrifice mine. We see these prophecies that these men during times of not internet, of no Twitter, of no Instagram, of anything, that they make these amazing claims that Messiah is coming to save us. And as people laugh and ridicule, torture and kill these people, as they make these bold statements, as Isaiah quotes Isaiah 53 before he knew that it was Isaiah 53 to everyone, we see these powerful things. Then the Messiah shows up. And we see Jesus making these claims and He's fulfilling these prophecies and he makes his own prophecies. Kill me in three days and I'll be back. People are like, what is he talking about? And he goes over and over again. He's there on the cross and there's miracles that are happening in each part of it. And as I'm writing this paper, I'm seeing these scriptures and I come across one of the prophecies in Psalms 22. And King David is writing this psalm in the middle of his agony, in the middle of his pain. He's also prophetically declaring Something amazing of what God is going to do. And we see in Psalms 22, verse 17, he says, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. He says, I can see all of my bones. And we see that as Jesus is dying on the cross, as his flesh is ripped open, as he's hanging on the cross, that he's looking down and he can literally see his bones. It's probably not a fun, probably not an enjoyable circumstance. If you've ever watched any type of sports, or if you've ever watched any type of fighting, chances are you've seen someone break a bone. Chances are you've seen a bone maybe stick out in a way that you shouldn't and when, you, oh, when, you, when you have that image. I remember watching a couple of UFC fights of a guy, he goes to kick, and the guy blocks it, and the other guy's leg just kind of jellos. But he's not going to give up, and he steps on it. And when he puts that pressure, here comes that bone. Huh. But in that moment when the bones are showing is not an enjoyable moment. It's probably the worst pain that they've ever felt. Let's just go out on a limb. Hint, hint. Might be the worst pain that they've ever felt. And as Jesus standing on, on that cross and he's seeing his bones, he's experiencing this pain, this agony, this frustration 
You might be in that moment right now where you're at the peak of your pain threshold in your life, where you're having a I see my bones moment. I don't know how I'm going to be healed from this. I don't know how God can save me from this. I don't know how I can recover from this. Like Eric was saying, sometimes battles are lost. And when you're in that moment, what are you going to do? Are you going to stand there and scream in pain and say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But as we read further in the Scripture, we see at that moment when David is seeing his bones, when he's at this moment of pain, when he's at this moment of frustration where he thinks, I can handle it no more, as he's prophetically declaring what Jesus is experiencing on the cross, he says these phrase. Verse 18, it says, They part my garments among them, and they cast lots upon my vesture. Verse 19, But be not thou far from me, O Lord. Hold my strength. Haste thee to help me. In the moments where you're seeing your bones, in the moment of the worst pain of your life, the worst experience of your life, what are you going to say? Because we see David saying something that he shouldn't have said. He should have said, woe is me. Why is me? Why is this happening? I can't believe this. I hate this. I hate this is happening to me. Why not somebody else? What did I do? We see Jesus on the cross standing in faith as he's experiencing the most pain. And I want to encourage you and challenge you today to say this phrase right here. Be not thou far from me, O Lord. It says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Be not thou far from me, Lord. We see him say, strengthen me. O my strength, strengthen me. In this moment, God, strengthen me. Help me. Encourage me. Build me. Because I can't do this. I can't do this on my own. I need your strength. And he says, hasten thee to help me. This hurts and this stinks really bad, God. So please fix this real quick. And stepping out in faith and believing that God will do something. In the moment of your pain, in the moment of your weakness, in the moment of seeing those bones, what are you going to say? Because it says in Revelation that we have that he was conquered, he was devoured, he was defeated, talking about Satan, not Jesus. He was conquered, he was the different translations, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The blood has already covered you in this moment. Now it's your words that get you through it. Now it's declaring and saying, like we've heard all through the night, that it's His strength, it's His power, it's the mirror that we're looking at and seeing. It's knowing that the devil's already been defeated. It's saying right now in this moment in our frustrations, in our failures, in our weaknesses, you are my strength. Be not thou far from me and make this happen quick. Save me right now. So it doesn't matter what you're going through. It matters what you're saying while you're going through it. So let's stand up today as we get ready to head out. We've heard so many great messages and so many great sermons tonight. And we've seen the theme go through that God is on our side. And there is nothing the devil can do about it. His blood has already been poured out. It's already been shown to us. He that the Son sets free is free indeed. So we have already overcome. Now we have to get it in our head, and we have to get it in our heart, and we have to get it out of our mouth. That the, We have defeated the devourer. It doesn't matter what he says. It doesn't matter what he's doing. It doesn't matter the pain or struggle that you're going through. 
It matters what you're saying in that moment. So let's raise our hands right now and let's talk with God about it right now. Let's remind ourselves, let's remind our friends, let's remind our family, let's remind the devil, let's remind him right now that we are free. Father, we thank You for what You've done. We thank You for what You've birthed inside of us and what You've spoken through us all right now. And we declare with our mouth that whatever bone situation that we're going through, whatever happening in our lives, that we see the pain, we see the struggle, we will declare that You are our strength, You are our success, You are our healer, You are our Savior in this moment. We thank You, Father, and we will not look back and say, woe is me. We will say, look what the Lord has done. Look what He has done in my life. Look what He has done in this situation. I will not look at my bones anymore. I will not look at the pain. I will not look at the suffering. I will not look at the failure. I will not look at the sickness. I will declare and look at what the Lord has already done for me. In Jesus' name, Amen. And Father, we thank You for tonight. We thank You for this Word. That it will go inside of us. And it will fall on good ground. And it will remind us as we lay our heads on our pillows tonight. We will not be stressed out and worried about our situations. But we will build ourselves up in the most holy of faith by declaring the good words that we know You have spoken and placed in our hearts. That we know we're healed. We know that we're free. We know that we are debt free. We know that we are saved. We know that we have full access to You, Father. I ask you to bless your people as they head out until they return again, Father, that they are blessed and highly favored in everything that they go through. They know that they win, and we shall overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. Thank you, so Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com. 